Welcome to the Body Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Kiara. You can expect new episodes each Wednesday that are educational, inspiring, and honest surrounding various women's health topics, spirituality, and so much more. The Body Wisdom Podcast was brought to life by integrating the physical and emotional body to deepen one's healing journey. Thanks for being here and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Body Wisdom Podcast. I am super stoked for today's episode because I am here with my coach, Stevie Wright. And oh my gosh, you guys, we are in for a treat. I just know it. Like this conversation is going to be so good because we're going to talk all things somatics, embodiment, and breath work, and all the things. So welcome, Stevie. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. How are you today? Um, let's see. I'm feeling, I'm actually feeling pretty tender. Um, last week I was at a somatic facilitator training for six days. I've been part of this program for the last like, um, eight months or so. And we had an in-person facilitator training that was incredibly profound and very, very intense, very, um, very intense and just kicked up a lot. So um, I'm still really integrating from that. So I feel good of just feeling like soft and tender. I love how you just took a moment to pause before. Like, I feel like the initial reaction when someone asks you, how are you? It's like, oh, I'm good. Fine. <laughs> you know, but I feel like in this world, it's it's so much about like feeling into like, how actually are you? Yeah. And that's a really beautiful share. Thank you for sharing that. And I mean, if there's anything that you want to share about that too, like to help you integrate more, like please feel free or not. Yeah, <laughs> um, it it was an it was I mean it was a wonderful six days. I've been really learning how to um, work with clients in uh, a deeper and deeper somatic way. I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but um, the way that it's it's been happening is everything that we learn, we do on ourselves and each other first. And so it's really working with the nervous system and working with trauma and working with um, stuck energies and uh, parts of ourselves that we've exiled and um, welcoming those parts back in and welcoming all the parts. And so um, I was really working with trusting myself. And um, there was a exercise we did where I realized I, a really long time ago, I had made a spiritual contract to not have a voice, to not have my own knowing, to put the trust outside of myself. And I was really seeing how that contract served me in a lot of ways, um, really served me and really helped me out, but now is uh, to my detriment. So I was um, working with that piece and and then shortly, like tr- pretty much right after the, like the day of the last day of the retreat, I was presented with an opportunity to really use my knowing and use my voice and um, put what I had just integrated, like actually into practice. So um, it's been, I mean, in general, I feel really proud of myself. Uh, and it's also been like raw. Mm, I love that. I can relate to that so much, just like speaking of your voice and 
for me, a lot of those parts are like hidden and like having a trouble, like difficult or difficulty, like communicating my needs and knowing how to articulate them as yeah. well. Like there's so much like in here in my mind, it's like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it's like, it feels chaotic. Um, and I want to dive into that a little bit more, like your voice and because you were a singer or you are a singer, yeah. right? Such a beautiful singer, by the way. Thank I you. like die at your breath channel songs that you sing for us. I'm just like, oh, yes, please Thank more. You. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's – is that kind of how you landed here in this space? Like how did you get here? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So um, – I'm just trying to figure out how to, my voice is a little bit of a separate, I'll just kind of share. So I, um, I've been a singer since I was like three and I've been taking uh, lessons since I was like pretty much six to 19. Um, I think actually six to 20 or 21 actually. And so um, I've been a singer forever. I've been a professional singer since I was 15 and been in bands um, for the last, what, 12 12, I mean, I'd do math, 12 to 15 years or so. Um, and that was my thing. Like that, I mean, that is my thing that was singing. And I, I for my entire young life, I thought I was, you know, going to be a rock star and was perf- or per, uh, pursuing artistry and all of that. Um, and when I was 16, I was on American Idol and um I got really far. I got to the top 36. I did the whole thing. Paula, Simon, Randy, America voted. It was a whole, it was a whole thing and uh, got voted off at the top 36. And um, it was a very, very, very traumatizing experience for me Um, to, to sum up what happened basically is, I mean, I'm 16 years old. I'm taken out of school. I moved to LA with my mom you know, I'm a minor, so I have to take a, a a guardian. I moved to LA for a few months. I'm in the show. I'm doing the whole thing. There's like um, paparazzi and like people, and and, and uh, I I've come from a really small town, so I really put my small town on the map. Like no one had ever heard of Phelan before, and um, so basically. I'm going through this whole process and at home, like there's a whole vote for Stevie campaign at my school. And my, I went to a really big church. And so our, our church put on a whole vote for Stevie thing. And it was wow. like a lot, a lot of pressure. Yeah. And um, it was the night of the big performance of performing for America. And the, they, I mean, they really want you to, they want you to be nervous. They want to make good TV. They, they're not um they're not mean like the producers or anything like that but they're not supportive of you really blossoming it's really about good tv and so at that point i had turned 17 and as i was about to step out onto stage and perform for america um the producer hands me the microphone and says don't fuck up you're about to sing in front of 33 million people oh my gosh and wow. so i'm like i'm already terrified. I'm one of, there was like five minors in my season. Um, I was on the season where, um, with Adam Lambert and he, um, so, so 
I was surrounded by people. There was a lot of older adults and people who had been performing and, and musicians for many years. So they had a lot of experience. And my experience is like, I am in show choir, you know, at school in, in Zealand. <laughs> um, so I felt really underprepared. So I had, at that point, I had been doing a lot of my auditions and things and getting past all the rounds. It was a lot of um, blues and standards and older music. And the producers thought I wasn't representing my age group well, so they wanted me to sing Taylor Swift. And I don't, I hadn't had a lot of experience with pop music at that time, and especially with Taylor Swift. And so I was like, okay. And so I sang a Taylor Swift song, and the night of the performance, just completely, I was so nervous. I was so under so much pressure. I just completely tanked and really messed up. And um, the judges, like, were so hard on me, so hard on me. And I got voted off the next night and I went back home. And there was a part of me that was really excited to go home because I was ready for it to be done. Um, and uh, But there was a part of me that was really embarrassed. I felt like I had messed up. I felt like I'd let my family down. I'd let my hometown down. And um, when I went back home, before leaving school, the first episode aired where it was like, you're going to Hollywood. So I was like the most popular girl in school for a few days before I left school. And then when I went back to school, it was, everyone had turned on me. So it was either Stevie thinks she's too good for us because she was on TV. And, and so we need to shun her or Stevie did horrible and we're like making fun of her. And so like my entire school life blew up. Um, I really felt like at home, um, I had disappointed them and, um, there was a lot of stuff going on at home that, that, you know, around the idol stuff that was really difficult. So it felt like I didn't have anyone at home and I just, you know, it was, I was a junior in high school and my, my life had just blown up. Like I had just, um, embarrassed what well, the story was, the story I told myself was I had just embarrassed myself in front of the nation mm-hmm. and, I don't have anyone. Like it was, I was really alone. So it was really traumatizing. Um, it's a cool thing. It's a beautiful thing that I did. And I, I'm, I have, I have an incredible voice and I'm really proud of that. My actual talent. Um, but the experience itself was terrible. And I really took that with me into my adult life. Um, I hadn't processed the trauma of the idol stuff until like almost 10 years later, in therapy and I had never watched my performance. And so one of the things that I had to do was like watch my, you can find it on YouTube and like watch my performance. And like, it really just took me back to that 17 year old girl who just was like trying to please everybody and had a big smile on her face and inside she's just dying. And um, it was hard. It was really, really hard. And so I took that with me like into my adulthood and um, I, again, didn't deal with it till much later, but when I got into coaching, I still hadn't dealt with it, but I I got into coaching through health and fitness. So I got, I I went to college, I moved to LA, I was working in recording studios. Um, I literally was like, I did client service. So I was literally serving Beyonce and Jay-Z and Alicia Keys and Chris Brown and John Mayer. And like, I was literally, 
and like just like Justin Bieber and getting into Justin Bieber's Ferrari. And it was like the funnest oh like, 22 year old Los Angeles. Like it was a proper Los Angeles experience. <laughs> yeah, um, but it was, it was interesting because I was able to see how their lives worked and what it was really like. And it really scared me. I was like, as a 22 year old, I was like, oh my God, I actually don't. Cause I was still pursuing music. And I was like, oh my God, I actually don't want this. This is, I realized I didn't want it. And so I got out of the, that, that business. And, um, at this time I was, got into a band, uh, a wedding band and was singing, um, I, we were in a, a wedding covered band and I was in that band for 11 years until I, until this past year, literally. Um, and we did like LeBron James's wedding and Chris Pratt's wedding and Jimmy uh, Kimmel's wedding and like all these crazy weddings that I got to, that I got to sing at. So cool. And um, so I got out of like the, the client service business and was still gigging. Um, and in the meantime, was feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm not pursuing artistry anymore quite just really because I'm gig work is more just like you sing the covers, you get the check, you go home, you know? And, um, in that stage of my life, I was really trying to figure out, okay, well, what's next. And I found my way into coaching through health and fitness. So I was doing, um, and I'm kind of condensing a longer story, but I was, I got into health and fitness, I got my health coaching uh, certification. I started seeing clients one-on-one and helping them with nutrition and and wellness and things like that. And it was so funny because I realized, you know, these clients were coming to me telling me, you know, one, two months in, they they come to me saying, I want to lose weight. And then two months in, they're telling me like serious trauma. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, here's a recipe. Like, I have no idea how to help you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And so um, it was a really big aha moment for me of like, oh, wow, if I want to support people and I want to help people, I need to do my own work because they were, they were mirroring to me some of my own trauma that I had not dealt with. And I was like, wow, I do not know how to help you. I have not dug into any of this in myself. And so I stopped coaching. I got a, like a full-time desk job and many actually throughout the years. And I just spent the next several years like in therapy, getting my own coach courses and programs and learning how to hold space in a way that actually facilitates transformation and spent the next many years, um, developing my skills and not only how I hold, but how I'm, how I'm held and how I hold myself. And, uh, long story short, like I, it's been almost seven years later and now I'm doing somatic work and breath work and, um, trauma work and, energetics and working with the hologram. And so um, I I really feel like I'm at a point in my career where I'm so in alignment with what I'm doing and how I support people and how I meet my own shit. Um, That is really like in the last couple of years has, has created a lot of success and and abundance. Wow. Wow. What a story. Yeah, that was a long story. <laughs> that, no, I loved it. That is so cool. I'm just like, yeah. wow, at your life. That's amazing. Yeah. So when you think of Stevie, 16-year-old Stevie, and you're 30 now, right? 30-year-old Stevie. 30, like, yeah. 
what are the key differences that you you feel in your body like what has grown what has shifted in order for you to yeah see the abundance and success that you are reaping today um there's a lot of and this actually happened only in the last few years i've noticed like with the trauma work i've been doing and with the um uh depth work i've been doing is and somatic work i've been doing with myself it's um my nervous system is just safer i feel safe in my body i feel safe in the world um i mean not not all the time there are moments when I, where i feel the unsafety i feel the old stories kick in i feel like the old um the old way kick in for sure but in general i feel like i've softened like my my body has dropped my roots have dropped i have ground whereas before i was so like like anxious and like tight and 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 people pleasing and um perfectionist and and so like big smile on my face when actually i'm i'm crumbling inside and not speaking my truth it was just so wound up that now i actually feel like my i have ground beneath me Mm. That's the best way I can explain it. That's beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah. And I'm assuming like after, and correct me if I'm wrong, like after the whole American Idol thing, you may have lost confidence. Maybe you didn't love yourself because you technically are like a self-love coach too, right? Yeah. I stopped, I stopped calling myself that. I was calling myself that for a long time. I mean, yes, I now call myself transformational embodiment coach. I feel like it encompasses more than just self-love. I mean, self-love is like the backbone of everything I do. Um, But I'm really starting to work with like the trauma pockets and the nervous system and things like that. But yes. So this is just like like such a cliche question, I guess. But how does someone begin to love themselves when – they hate so many parts of themselves and they're like, just trying to like, Oh, I just love myself. Like it's such a, it's such a thing to say, you know, it seems trendy, but yeah. How did you, um, and I know like, and now we can get into somatics and stuff. Like, is that really transformational as far as the self-love piece? Yes. And the reason why is, and I, I, what I'm about to chat about is what exactly what we do in the embodied women, which is my, um, group program. That's, I know me too. The the group program that's starting next month. But, um, the way into self-love is not through, in my opinion, it's not through like, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. And like affirmations are great and that's all wonderful, but it's also a lot of spiritual bypass and the way into true self-acceptance is by being with the parts that you don't love and by welcoming the big feelings and welcoming the uh, wounds, the old wounds, the stories that have that have come, kind of been with you your whole life. And when you do that excavating work, what's left over is more of you. My somatic teacher, Stacey Matulis, um, has a really beautiful example of, of this, um, of, of somatic work in general, but you know how, when we get 
think about when we get startled, there's a, yeah, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a tightening and then there's a, there's a, there's a hold, right? Yeah. Trauma, whether big or small is like that. And what's crazy about those energies, those, those tight energies is that, you know, as kids, we don't have usually anyways, I mean, if we have incredibly good self-aware parents and amazing, but usually we don't have the support or the know-how to process those feelings through. And so what happens is we have something, we have a trauma, we have a belief system uh, formed and that, that, that um, tightness, that hold that stays, it doesn't go away. So we we have all these pockets of belief system and feeling and and pain and terror in our bodies that we're just it's like holding on to a bunch of knots. And our energy is wound up in that knot. Think about it as like a frozen cold icy knot in the body. Our energy is wound up in there. And so there's less of literally there's less of us available to our lives because it is wound up in these pockets. Yeah. And if you can think about it too, um, you know, if a, if a, if a necklace chain gets a knot in it, there's, there's less necklace, right? The necklace is shorter. It's the same thing. And so with somatic work, what you're doing is you're giving witness to that knot. You're applying warmth and welcoming so that eventually that knot can, Ah, dethaw and and untie and come undone. And what's left over is literally more you, more of your energy, more of your energy to to uh, be in abundance, to be present, to be authentic. It's literally more of you. And so that's what we're doing in the embodied woman is we're applying warmth to the frozen. And so to bring it back to your question around self-love is when you're working with these pockets of belief system and you're unwinding them, what's left over is self-love, is bliss, is self-acceptance. That's amazing. Makes me think of, have you heard of myofascial release? Yeah. Yeah. So like same thing, like the fascia just being like that and literally sometimes even feeling like those emotions come through in a session. Um, but having the tools and support and container to process all of those emotions that come through, um, is really helpful too. So what is somatics? Like just to break that down for some people who who are not aware of that yet. Yeah. Somatics, soma means body. So it's of the body. It's real, it's, it's work relating with the body. And that's really all it means is you're working with, um, it's working with trauma pockets. It's working with frozen energy. It's working with trapped emotion, but soma just means body of the body. And you can do that through like breath work is a somatic practice, right? Breath work is totally a somatic practice. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. Like, breath work is a very, very powerful somatic practice. Yeah. I want to talk about that. So what led you to breath work? Like what was, what led you to pause? So, um, I was do I found breathwork like maybe four years ago or so. A girlfriend of mine invited me to a breathwork class. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea what it was. I thought it was like a, a workout class. So I had like workout clothes on and 
I'm like, we're going to do some breath work. And then I show up and there's this bald man with a gong. Oh, and I'm man. like, oh God, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> Um, but it was, it was incredible. He led us through a really profound, like hour long breathwork practice. And I had, I was like, what the hell is happening? Because I was screaming, I was crying, I was laughing, I was in bliss, I was in pain. It was like every flavor. And I had like, I was having downloads. It felt like I was on plant medicine and doing psychedelics. And I was like, what is this? It felt like, it really felt like a journey. And, um, afterward I, 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 it was a deeply healing experience. And I was like, what the hell was that? And I uh, did my own research about it and kept going to classes and kept doing breath work. And then, um, you know, many years later it was like, okay, I need to add this to my practice. And so I got certified. Mm. Yeah. That my first experience was, I think, uh, yeah, it was that workshop that you did with Sam and like mm. tears literally like flowing down my face. I was like, what's happening? Cause it's not, it wasn't forced or anything. It was not forced. Like it was just like softening to yeah. whatever was in my body that needed to just flow through. And I want to talk about like the nervous system piece here with breath work, because I think so often the women that I work with and practice and myself included, like there's like a hyper arousal state, and they're having a really hard time like settling down or on the other hand, they're in this hypo arousal state, just like completely shut down, numb, all these things. And so often when regulating a nervous system, people are like, I just need to calm down or like you're told to just chill out and like, <laughs> you know, just cool it. But is that what we're trying to accomplish when we're regulating the nervous system? Like what, what's the goal there? No, I don't think so. I think um, what I've been learning is all about unconditional welcoming. And, um, it's, it's, you know, it's funny because nobody says, I feel fear. I want to feel more fear. I feel sad. I want to feel more sad. But yeah. in fact, in fact, that is actually what moves it. Instead of trying to like, uh, calm the self or like move through the sad, it's actually no feel the sad, welcome the sad, welcome the fear. And it's terrible. I'm not gonna lie. It's terrible. I feel it's it's hard. It's um, not fun. And then again, what's left over is more of you. It's total like exaltation, ecstatic bliss, pleasure. It's amazing. But we have to welcome it so that the feeling can actually be felt and processed through. That's how you ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. There's like a, you know, there are people in the in the health and wellness space, I guess, mental health space, who are like, on one hand, like feel your feelings. On the other hand, it's like complete like stoicism or um, just like you know your trauma, move on. Like what I'm having a hard time. Like I, I do get triggered by that because I'm like, well, I'm learning one thing. And this other thing completely goes against that. And it's like, what's right and what's wrong? Like, is this for everyone kind of thing? Like, what am I missing? I guess. What do you, what do you, um, tell me more about the part you think you're missing? Well, I'm just like, there's someone on the other hand or on one side who's like, okay, feel your feelings and like welcome them and hold the space. 
Mm-hmm. And there's also like a, a line, I guess, where it's like, you have your trauma. And then there are a lot of people who, I guess, play the victim. And so mm-hmm. it's like teetering that line of, okay. Cause I, I've definitely done that too, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I have trauma and like, I'm the victim and poor me. And like, this is why I am the way I am and not really like moving myself out of that. So I, I guess the question is like, yeah, how do you bring awareness to that? And how can you begin moving out of it? Cause the last thing I want to do is like for people to feel stuck in like their trauma. I think, um, I think there's a bit of co- a confusion though. Okay. Because I don't think that victim means that you're actually in it all the time. We have to remi- remember that people who are who play the victim oftentimes have been victimized, and they they have been victims. So true. But um, when you're in victim mode, it actually doesn't mean that you're feeling your feelings. Mm. Okay. Wow, that was really enlightening. <laughs> Victim, I mean, victim is like you're in, and again, it's not that you have not been victimized, but it's more so that you're, you're just hanging out in the story. You're not really feeling the feelings. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think that if you're, if someone's in victim mode, that they're actually being with those parts, you know what I mean? It sounds like they actually meet, need need support in in being with the parts and, and welcoming them and actually feeling through the pain of it so that it can move. You know what I mean? Instead of the story. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. So with somatics, and you kind of mentioned this earlier about like affirmations, like, you know, affirmations are great and they can work, but like how can we integrate this into the body? Why is mindset work a little bit different than embodiment? And is embodiment the same as somatics? Is that like kind of like same thing? I think, I mean, somatics is its whole, it's an entire field. I think embodiment and kind of encompasses, um, it mean embodiment means taking, this is John Wineland's definition that, and I worked with him for a bit and he's incredible. He's a polarity and spiritual intimacy coach, but, um, his, his definition, definition of embodiment is taking an ethereal concept like love or abundance or presence or, or, uh, shine and making that so deeply, making that energy so deeply felt in the body, so embodied in the body that not only do you experience your life from that place, but also other people experience you from their body. And, uh, so I, I think there, there is somatics is an entire, like, field, like a body of work, you know what I mean? Where embodiment is kind of like a concept. Okay. Yeah. And then embodiment versus mindset work. Yeah. I mean, mindset work and thought work are amazing. I do a ton of it myself. I do a ton of it with my clients. I think that um, it's, I mean, it's in the name, right? It's of the mind. You're working with like the thoughts. You're working up here. You're working cerebrally which again can be very helpful, but if you're leaving out the body, I really think we're leaving out a big part of the, the healing journey. Mm-hmm. And so it's not about not doing mindset work. It's about the integration of both and actually manifestation mindset, all that stuff gets juicier and more pal- uh, palpable and potent when you bring in the body as well. Mm. 
manifestation makes me think of the hologram. Can you, this is such a fascinating concept to me. I'm just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, when I was listening to uh, Dr. Sam Raider's video inside of the breath channel, I was like, oh my gosh, like everyone needs to listen to this. Um, so can you, can you share a little bit about that and what that is? Totally. So Dr. Sam Rader is a depth psychologist here in LA. Um, she's one of my best friends of all time and also uh, mentoring me in her work. And basically the hologram is, so the best way that I can, there's like a, there's a, like a physics way that I can describe it, but just to make it easier, um, I always give this example and I give this in the embodied woman and other places too. But I think like maybe eight years ago at Coachella, they had a hologram of Tupac performing. Mm-hmm. So the idea is obviously Tupac is no longer with us, but um, they have a, in this case, a video or a picture on holographic film. And then a laser gets um, shot through it and then it becomes life-size. It becomes real. It gets projected out into the world. And now, whoa, a life-size Tupac is right in front of our face. He's back. He's alive. It's real. Yeah. And um, that's, that's what a, just an example of what a hologram is, but how it relates to you and I is this idea that everything that we believe to be true about ourselves, everything we believe to be true about how the world works and my place in the world is the, like, it's kind of like the holographic film in the mind. And then all this energy gets gets pushed in into it and it gets projected out into the field into our lives and that appears real so for example um i'm trying to think of a an example in my own life so i had a belief for a long time i'm still working with it a little bit but it's not so much anymore it used to be really really present that um my bigness hurts people and my shine and my power makes love go away. It makes it makes people hate me and jealous of me, and um, mm. I'm not allowed to be in my bigness. Feel that. Mm-hmm. And so, because I believe that to be true, that that got mirrored back to me as truth in my hologram. So, in my hologram, people were really jealous of me. People put me down. People didn't like that I was in my bigness. People called me an attention whore. People called me selfish. It was, I believe that to be true. And then it gets projected into the field and I experience more of that. And listen, the reason that I believed it in the first place is because it was true. I had an experience early on that my bigness and my power was threatening. So that belief got formed and then I experienced more of it in adulthood. And the thing with the hologram is, until we heal these beliefs and these patterns, we're going to keep experience the same old shit in our lives, this, the same situation, different people all the time until we heal it. And then mm-hmm. our hologram, our, our matrix, our ones and zeros literally has to show up differently. It cannot show up the same way. And it, it can change in an instant, actually. Wow. It's really incredible. So is it kind of just like the lens that in which that we see the world? The yeah. Lens in which we see the world. Yeah. Yeah. And that perception shifts over time. Like the more experiences that we have and the more work that we do. I I feel like I've been going through a lot of this lately. I'm just like 
And, and the use of, for me, um, integration tools, the use of like uh, psilocybin mushrooms um, has been really transformative and really helpful for me yeah. um, to just see more than just myself. Like yeah. see just life in all its beauty. And like, I, I literally have seen life differently, not just from that. I mean, like, obviously there's, I feel like that's just the integration, like knowing what I want to integrate in my body beforehand is really important too. But yeah, that's such a fascinating tool. Um, and I feel like a lot of my um, clients and a lot of the people who follow me also struggle a lot with body image. And that's kind of, you know, you mentioned weight loss earlier with, you know, your coaching clients that you were seeing to first begin with. Um, their hologram, could it be that they're just like anything I eat just makes me gain weight? Like, could that be a part of it? Like something as small as that? I think it's much deeper. Much deeper. Yeah, like I think it's uh, I don't think it's about food at all. Um it's really it's really not about um food at all. I mean, that's like the food is the surface way that it that it shows up. Um and it's it's the symptom, but it's not really the issue. Mm-hmm. Um I think there, you know, could be a lot of things at play, you know, um not feeling their feelings. Um Right. Using using food as as support and comfort, but um, and actually this is a, a idea that Dr. Sam has, which is that um, for those of us that really struggle with body image, and for those of us who struggle with food and things like that, it's around need. It's around not knowing that we're allowed to need, that we're allowed to feed, that we're allowed to be full that we're allowed to be hungry, not just hungry for food, but hungry in our lives, hungry for support. And so we don't, it's either, whether it's binging or, um, or, or, or uh, restriction, it's that same thing of, I don't let myself have need. I don't let myself have need. I don't let myself have need. And then I'm going to have need. I need, I need, I need, I need, yum, 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 yum. I got to eat, 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 eat. Or I just don't let myself have need. I just don't let myself have need. I just don't let myself have need and I restrict. I don't need. I don't need. I don't I don't have anything. I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. I don't need support. Cause need in 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 that psyche is bad and wrong. Mm-hmm. And that and comes from childhood, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Like they're the ones who had to take care of everything. They're the ones who um had to be a big girl, had to be a good girl. Good girls don't have need. Good girls are big sisters. You know, like there's all sorts of ways it can show up, but um, it's usually around, oh, some message got formed that says, when I don't need, I'm a good girl. Thanks for saying, thank, you know, you're such a big girl. You're such a good girl. Yeah. Um, or, you know, just having to, parents weren't around to take care of stuff. So you had to take care of stuff or you had to take care of your parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Sam talks about like those coping styles, right? Is that kind of like the road we're going down? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's premature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I came across a letter in like my old stuff in this closet and I was like, just fumbling through everything. And there was a letter from a, my kindergarten teacher, just like updating my parents on how I'm doing in, in class and everything. And one of the sentences was, Kiara gets so happy when she pleases others. And I was like, oh my, oh my God. God. 
That is hilarious. You're like, wow. Uh, understood. Understood. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I need to that sign again. That's so funny. Right. Yeah. yeah. It like goes really, really deep, but we're applauded for those things. Like you're a good girl. You don't ask for mention. She just follows the rules and doesn't ask questions and just does what she needs to do and makes everyone else happy, but isn't really, you know, stopping. I mean, cause you're a child, you don't have the tools to really like know like, except no, I take that back. Aren't children like some of the most like smart, like beings on this planet? Like we can learn so much from them because they're so emotionally literate. Um, totally. I think though, I, I think that, um, I mean, they, they have a, a, they're closest to the remembering of who we really are. Right. When we, the older we get, the farther away we get from the remembering. But, um, I think that they also need the tools and the support to do so if they don't have the tools and the support to do so they, you know, it's, it's that thing about um, not knowing that their, their needs are welcome, not knowing that their emotions are okay. Um, things like that. So I think that we, we're a ball of love and, and a feeling body, but that also needs to be nurtured. Mm-hmm. And that comes back to the concept of safety, yeah. which I want to talk about. So how, how did you start creating safety within your body? Like, did it start off with a safe space in your house or was it breath work or, yeah. What was it for you? For me, it was support. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really big on, I just actually wrote a post about this like a, some, like a week ago, a couple weeks ago or so, but the way that I have um, created such a full life where I'm at now is through support. And, um, the safety and, and community, the safety came from being held in containers that were non-judgmental, accepting, loving, welcoming, hiring mentors and hiring coaches and hiring, uh, different therapists and things like that, all sorts of different types of mentors that I actually could bring all of my parts and they'd be held with such grace that I I was like, oh, wow. Like my body started to unwind that, okay, these parts of me are welcome. So for me, I, I don't exactly know um, what the, the process is for other people. For me, it started with uh, being welcomed in safe spaces. And I think that, I mean, for anyone that could be helpful. Oh, yeah. I was, um, I don't know if you know, know this about me, but I was super sick, like, it really started back for me in 2016, like just chronic oh, issues and chronic like hormone imbalances. And you know, I say chronic, but like, I just didn't know where to go. Like I just felt like super stuck and I was trying all the things. And, um, and sure enough, once I gave my body the environment, the safety, like, first of all, I was in a relationship that, you know, it just, it wasn't, we were holding on for dear life <laughs> and literally it was full survival mode. Um, so that environment definitely contributed to it. And yeah, the foods I was eating weren't the most supportive. Um, I came to find out. So once all of that shifted, like it was so transformative, but when I was still in the depths of everything, one of the things that I started doing instead of isolating myself, because I was, yeah, I was isolating myself because I was like, no one gets me. I'm so misunderstood. No one gets what I'm going through. And like, I just need to be alone. Like I can't even go out to eat at restaurants because like, I just, I can't eat anything. And you know, all these things. 
um, were piling up. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to stay by myself. But I had a community. I had people around me who wanted my presence, who desired my presence. I just didn't know how to truly accept my own presence because I just, I felt so uncomfortable in my body. I felt like I wasn't a, like a pleasure to be around. But when I did step out, when I did stretch myself a little bit, it was, it was awesome because I could literally feel everything in my body dissolving. Once I started laughing with my community and just being out of my own head, just being out of that space, that's just like, can tell you so many things and can feed you so many things. And like those thoughts can definitely, um, like if you buy into them, then it, it, it can be a detriment. Um, so yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you. Like support is so important. So important. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it can, it can be the, your friends, it can be a therapist, it could be a mentor. Um, just having that place where you get to let down the armor as much as possible over time, I think creates safety. Um, you know, and also like, again, yeah, the, the tools, breath work and, and meditation and being with your feelings and things like that. For me, I, now I can do those things, you know, totally. But, um, back in the day, I didn't have any tools. I didn't have any tools to be with my, myself. And so I didn't know how to be with myself. And so the support, you know, hiring support was, was profound for me. And it was the the place that I needed to start. Has being so comfortable in your body always coming easy to you? Like, was there ever a time where you were just like, not as comfortable in your body? Like I, we just see you on Instagram, just dancing. Like I remember when I first came across your Instagram account, I was like, Oh my gosh, this girl is amazing. (laughs) I love, I love the dancing videos and just feeling so comfortable with that. And I know a lot of women don't feel that way. So yeah, I'm just curious, um, about your story there. Did that come along with the singing? Um, yeah. Well, there, yeah, the, you you kind of hit the nail on the head. There's two parts. I mean, I've always <laughs> I'm a performer, <laughs> and so I've always been a ham, and I've always had I've always had that performer fun like uh, confident like part of me. Um, and I had some I had some really hard body image issues in in high school and uh, college. Um, body image and, and things like that have never been my particular, I've, I've for sure had some stuff. It's not to say I didn't have, but it was, it was never really my particular flavor of the stuff that I was, that I needed support with. Um, mine was always like the achievement, the perfectionism, the go, 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 the, um, you know, success, getting the success kinds of things like that. Um, so I didn't have that same, um, kind of struggle, I think with body stuff, it wasn't, it wasn't my particular flavor. And I I think that the, um, you know, being in, in being performing and being on on stages my entire life, you know, supported that too. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. For, for the woman who is like really struggling with that, um, maybe you do see that in the embodied woman, like what, what would be like some, I guess, practical, like, I don't want to say action steps, but like, yeah, things they can start doing to maybe create that level of safety within their bodies. 
so that because I know I speak to so many women that are like I just desire to like dance and like move my body but I just like don't even like know how like that just feels so awkward to me I can't even do it like in my bedroom by myself yeah hmm let me feel into that I mean at some point I think there's a there, there's like a, a moment where you just, it's like you have to try. And if that means you can move your body for a minute by yourself in the bedroom, then that's where you start. But I think it's like if there's if there's a real um, you know hard time in, in not just getting in your body but like the, the body image stuff, I think that um, if you can start by just even writing, you know, journaling, like kind letters, like for what your body can do, my body uh, breathes on its own. My body gets me from A to B. My body, um, you know, creates serotonin and dopamine so I can feel good and feel pleasurable. My body, and just kind of like speaking to your body in that way. I did a practice that was really, really, really helpful when I was do- having some body image stuff come up of um, being naked in my mirror and uh, looking at my body, but not just for a second because those first several minutes are really uncomfortable. But after a while, something like drops for me, it did anyway, where something dropped and I was able to just be in my, in just the divinity of it like looking at my body and looking at my vagina and looking at like every, all these different parts of me and, and just looking and being like, Oh, like this is a suit. Like who, what's underneath the suit? What's, who am I underneath this? There's a, there's a soul in here. And I think the more that you pay attention to your insides than your outsides and writing about that too, like writing about the body, but writing also about like, What's, what are my insides like? What are my thoughts? What are my needs? What are my feelings? What's my, what are my in, what's my internal landscape like? You know, I love that I'm funny. I love that I have a kind heart. I love that I love to care for people. I love that I'm a leader. You know, what are my insides like? And the more you focus on your insides, I think that it could, that creates a shift too. I love that. And, and, and I'm speaking to the woman who also, is really hard on themselves. You know, they beat themselves up and they probably have not spoken to their body in that way before. So I think a practice like that could be really transformative for sure. Yeah. Um, and then it can also relate to the ability to express those emotions too. Right. Because if they're not feeling safe in their bodies, like the idea of expressing rage or sadness, just letting it come. A lot of women can't feel their tears and, or yeah, they're just like, I just don't feel anything inside. Like, do you think those practices um, could also like open us up a little bit more, like soften a little bit more for those emotions to, to flow through? Um, I actually talk about this in the embodied woman is when we're feeling numb, we want to start with numb. So instead of trying to go like right to like a big feeling, um, and this is kind of like that same concept of like, I feel fear. Why would I want to feel more fear? I feel numb. Why would I want to feel more numb? But with somatic work, you start where you are. So I had to I had to work through a shit ton of numb in my somatic journey. I was like fog, 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 dry, 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 numb, numb, numb. And I had to work through a shit ton of that. And the, what we do is like, okay, 
okay, numb. I feel literally nothing. How does it, okay, great. So then how does it feel to be numb? Like in a breathwork practice, if I'm just feeling numb, okay, how does it feel to be numb? Okay, well, I'm feeling bored. I'm feeling annoyed. I'm feeling frustrated. I hate that I'm just sitting here. I can't feel anything. And actually that's the right next doorway. So the numb took me to frustration. Wow. And so now I'm like, oh, and I'm working with frustration. And like in in breath work and in somatic work, you're using breath, you're using sound, you're using movement. So it's like, what does frustration sound like? What does numb sound like? What is what is like for me? Numb sounds like, and frustration sounds like, and that actually is the right right next door to getting into the next feeling, and letting that open something. And maybe under frustration is like fucking grief that I can't feel shit. Okay, great. Actually, let me sell, let me welcome the grief. Oh my God. Is that a tear? Holy shit. You know? And <laughs> that is, that is actually the, and it might not be that fast. It might take a long time, but that is the, the journey of being with what is welcoming it and let it take you to the next door. Wow. That's like, just leading into it, leaning into whatever's coming up for you right now. And there's no right or wrong. And I love how in pause, it's just like whatever needs to happen in each session is exactly what's supposed to, ha- supposed to happen. Because like I had that really profound like breathwork experience, but then like a couple times later, it wasn't as profound. And there's just like a little bit of like, oh, well, that wasn't that great. But I never thought about it that way because there have been moments where I'm like, completely numb. I'm just like, what am I feeling? I have no idea. But that was really helpful. Just like feeling into that. What does that look like? What does that feel like in my body? Making those sounds, making those movements. Oh, I love that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Stevie, it has been such a gem talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit more about the Embodied Woman? Yeah, absolutely. So the Embodied Woman is my four-month group program. I do it twice a year. We're starting a new round on February 17th. And it is a program based uh, primarily around somatics and somatic embodiment, somatic transformation. So it's really working with the body. It's really learning lots and lots of exercises, tools, uh, somatic practices that will help you in in thawing and and, uh, welcoming back those frozen parts and welcoming back the exile parts and coming into more self-acceptance. And it's, it's really about um, healing belief system that lives in the tissue, healing belief system that lives at a deep nervous system level. So it's, it's profound. It's, um, it's my baby. I'm really, really proud of it. And the women who go through it experience really, really life altering transformation. And that's what I'm most excited about, like the support, the community. Like I just, I desire to connect with more women who are on a similar path. So I'm super stoked. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, lastly, where can everyone keep up with you? Yep. You can find me on uh, Instagram at Stevie L Wright underscore. You can find my website on there. You can find all the info for the embodied woman. If you want to join, I have a breathwork membership called the breath channel that's donation based and you can find all the info in the link in my bio. Okay. Beautiful. I will link all those things. Thank you so much for listening and until next time. Thank you. 
I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. If the episode resonated with you, feel free to share it with a friend and give the podcast a five-star review and rating as this allows us to grow and continue having incredible guests on the show. Thank you so much for your support. Until next time.